All right, I said to someone earlier that every week is a little different. So here we are. I'm trying to sort out the best way to talk to the children on the blind. So I'm gonna try this. We'll see how this works. And of course you don't know that, but there are a couple couple of kids here that I'm that I'm talking to. All right. Hello everyone. Um so the gospel we just heard is essentially about a party. Maybe it was a work dinner because it was the, the head of the Pharisees. And I'm wondering um, if you've ever been to a party. And uh, there's, yeah, I, I see some nodding online. <laughs> I think both the children's sermon and the adult sermon end up being like the intergenerational sermons. So we can all participate. Um, and you don't need to say this out loud, but I'm wondering who you invited to your party. If you if you had a party or who was invited to that party. I got invited. Say that again. I got invited. You got invited to the party. Yeah. So this story from the gospel um, is talking about parties. Of course, it's talking about more than just parties, but... Um, on on the surface, it's talking about parties, and it, it's really suggesting two things: that if you go to a party, so you're the person invited, as as you were, uh, you should act like you're the same as everyone else there. Not not like you need to do all the same things that they do, but that you're not more important than anyone else who might be invited. Right? That's that's kind of the first part. And then if you give a party, which some of us maybe have invited people over, Jesus is, is suggesting to, to invite people that other people wouldn't invite, even and maybe especially uh, when they might not be able to invite you back to anything. Okay, so maybe you all too, I've been to a lot of parties in my life. Uh, sometimes they're nonprofit organizations that are bringing people together, church events, and so on. And looking back, almost none of those parties have done either of those things. I think more of them have done things where people are trying to act, you know, kind of everyone's being kind of humble, but less where it's really inviting people who you have no expectation of anything. Like they're, they maybe they're not going to come to your church again. They're never going to donate to your nonprofit. Um, you don't know them, right? That's kind of a big ask. It's kind of a big ask. But um, some people in this church reminded me of a party uh, that that was happening prior to the pandemic called the Welcome Dinner, which was inviting people with uh, who were who were sick, people who had AIDS. Many of them didn't have family, and didn't have their own place to host a dinner, so they were in that situation. Um, where it was going to be difficult for them to to uh, reciprocate, to pay back anything that happened. But it was still a time when um, they could all come together for this nice meal together without any kind of expectation of pay payment. So anyway, I'm not suggesting that you invite people that you don't know to your birthday party, for example, um, but I am suggesting to you and to all of you as well that 
wherever your places are. So for you, maybe it's school or I don't know you that well. I hope I will know you better, but maybe you are a musician or maybe you play a sport or maybe you just hang out with kids. That in that situation, you look out for the people who are on the margins and see what kind of connection you might make. So look out for the people who maybe don't have the friends hanging out with them. And then it might end up being something that's good for both of you. So we're out of time, but I hope sometime when we meet, we can maybe talk more about parties and other things. All right, I'm gonna, bye. I'm gonna move you back up here. I really wish that you all could see these, this interaction too, maybe, maybe sometimes. All right. So as I mentioned, now we'll move into the second intergenerational sermon. And I share with you the grace and peace of Jesus, our Redeemer. All right, so there's been a lot of significant news this week in our world and in our country. Uh, and you can probably tick through a lot of things that have come up. But one of the things that seems to be lingering in the news and in social media and maybe also in our hearts is the state of our economy and particularly that inflation is continuing to make it harder for people to afford food and housing, making it hard for people to live. One of the pieces of that that rose to the surface this week uh, was the president's action to forgive a significant amount of student debt. So it was up, up to $20,000 for people who have particularly high need, and that's a significant amount of money. And it ends up being a big deal overall. I read in the New York Times that there are 45 million people who owe $1.6 trillion for federal loans taken out for college. So it's it's a big issue. It's a greater amount of debt than any other thing than, than mortgages for people who have debt. So there's a lot of complexities to how people have responded to this program. Some think that it's fair because everyone currently in debt with particular loans has a chance to get this money. Others think it's not fair for a variety of reasons, one of which is that it seems like a gift to, the, to those who've gone to college that's not available to those who haven't. And I can go on, there's a lot of opinions on this. But much of the discussion and the debate on this policy hinges on the concept that if I get something, I should do something in return. And if I give something, it should be in the expectation that someone will give me something in return, right? And we kind of do that in our everyday lives. It's this underlying understanding of how things work. Um, in social science, I learned this is called reciprocity. <laughs> So, um, and I've learned a little bit about that this week. If you know more about it, I'm happy to hear more about it after afterwards, uh, after this worship. Um, but reciprocity is so embedded in how we interact and embedded in our history that, that we're all kind of familiar with it without even knowing that we're familiar with it. So um, I came out with a few, I would call them terrible examples, but maybe you can think of more. One is if you were to ask a good friend to watch your dog, let's say you have a dog, you're going to be gone for a day or two, and you ask your good friend to watch your dog, you're probably going to want to give her something when you come back. Maybe you might invite her to dinner, or maybe you'd be willing to watch her dog anytime. Um, but there's this 
sense that there's, even if it's not a, a one-on-one exchange, there's some kind of an exchange. Or if you went into a store to buy something and you realize you forgot your wallet, but the owner said, oh, no, don't worry about it. Just take it. Underlying that is probably, but come back again, right? Or if you invite a new friend or even an old friend to your house for dinner, you might be thinking that at some point you're going to go to their house. So there's kind of this underlying connection. But some questions rise up for me. There are a lot of questions that rise up for me, particularly in the in the light of today's gospel. And a couple um, I'm going to return to are, what does it mean for a relationship if you recognize that someone can never repay you? What does that mean? And what does it mean to recognize that you can never repay someone else? So we'll return to those two questions. And Jesus is really addressing these questions in our gospel today. We see from the beginning that he's under scrutiny at this dinner with the leader of the Pharisees. Uh, and we talked about this a little bit in our Bible study, not for this lesson, but the last lesson that it seemed like this group of Pharisees were really kind of watching out, trying to figure out if they could catch Jesus doing something. And then there's a hidden part of this that's not in the gospel. There's like seven uh, verses missing, six verses missing, uh, where just like last week, Jesus heals on the Sabbath again, right? And he, he kind of does it uh, asking people if it's okay, and they basically don't say anything. So he's kind of established some authority now. He's he's able to say things, and people, even this group of Pharisees, are kind of paying attention to what he's saying. So the next uh, part of this, Jesus notices how the guests are acting at this dinner that he's been invited to, and he tells them a story about guests ignoring the rules of reciprocity, basically. And then Jesus tells the leader of the Pharisees a story about ignoring the rules of reciprocity. Again, in that first story, Jesus is watching how the guests at the dinner are planning out where to sit. And we know from earlier that he's having dinner, mostly with Pharisees. We didn't read that part. And maybe they're used to a particular way of sitting, kind of how we are. I don't know. Have you ever had this sense that the host would sit at the head of the table? Is that... Is that something that any of you, yeah, I'm seeing a few nods. And then um, sometimes then the more like an important guest might sit right next to the host. And that that's something that still plays out today. But Jesus suggests that those not, that those who are there shouldn't try to get closest to the host. They should move further away and wait to see whether they'll be brought forward. They should give up the idea that they can gain favor of the crowd by being close to the host, that they should make themselves humble and wait to see if they are brought forward. If they seek to gain favor, they're not going to get it. It's the opposite of reciprocity. And in the second story, Jesus goes out of his way to point out the implication of what he's saying. Not that he's singling out those on the margins just because they are on the margins. He goes out of his way to say that, but singling them out because it highlights a lack of reciprocity. That is, Jesus is encouraging the host, the one in the position to give a favor, the one who's able to give, to share, to work on behalf of others in the community. Jesus is encouraging that host 
to give this favor for someone for whom he or she has absolutely no expectation of return. So Jesus is pointing towards an overturning of reciprocity. One note I want to make is that in this particular story, which is not the case throughout the gospel, but uh, in this story, Jesus is talking to people who have something. Meaning his audience in the story is a bunch of people with some power. Maybe it's just a tiny bit, but some power and some authority. And many of us, I'm not going to say all of us, but many of us are in that position. We have some authority and, and some power, but many of us also have times when we're on the margins. That's how life sometimes works. When we wouldn't be the one hosting the dinner or wouldn't be the one invited to the dinner. And what happens in that moment, in that moment of being alone and excluded, of feeling like we have nothing? And for me in those moments, I feel lonely and I'm longing for a connection in addition to the additional gaps I might have. So I asked two questions earlier. And despite that I, the fact, as I often remind people in my sermons, that my preaching professor said, never ask a question that you don't answer. I'm going to ask them again and only partially answer them. Um, but I am inviting you to consider them. So the first question was, what does it mean for a relationship if you recognize that someone can never repay you? So this would be where you have a little more power in the relationship. You're giving something. How does it make you feel to think that someone might never be able to repay you? There's a wide range, right? It might make you feel good or not might depend on who it is. <laughs> and then the second question is flipping it. What does it mean to recognize that you can never repay someone else? How does, how does that feel? All right, if I knew you all a bit better, I might ask you to talk to each other about this. So think about that in the future, but not today. <laughs> um, and I, but I wanna say about these questions that I think if we are returning, if we're trying to overturn reciprocity, that these questions maybe have the wrong premise because they are assuming in this question that in a relationship, in creating community, we build strength by giving and receiving from those we love, or even that it is more important to give and receive than it is to form true connection. But what Jesus shares with us is that a community is built on love, period. Payment and repayment is not part of the equation. It's in connecting with each other without expectation of payback that we build authentic and lasting community. And we've been talking about this primarily in the context of individual relationships. All my examples were about that. But Jesus is so often speaking to communities and I wonder how we as a church can think about this idea of overturning reciprocity. We know that Jesus is really pitching the spirit of generosity, a way that we can look at our community here and our community out there and focus on entering into relationship without thinking about our expectations of reward. Other than of course, that the realm of God starts poking through a little bit more. Okay, so I've talked with a lot of you throughout this, my call process, and I hope to talk to all of you in the coming weeks and months. 
I know that here you all used to host a food pantry at Christchurch. It served about 200 folks a month. Is that, I'm seeing nods, great. And that now the food bank has shifted, the larger food bank has shifted to a different way to, to distribute food. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that together as this Christchurch community, we can think about how we take that energy, that food pantry energy, that energy of connecting in community without expecting repayment, how we take that energy and create authentic and lasting relationships with those who are our neighbors outside of this church. Okay, I'm gonna close from a short snippet from Justo Gonzalez. There's a little bit of it in Spanish and I don't really speak Spanish well, so please forgive that part of this. Um, Anyway, uh, he wrote a commentary on Luke and he mentions this uh, in this section on this passage. And he writes, in Spanish speaking lands, it's customary when someone does you a great and unmerited, and unmerited favor. And particularly when a beggar receives alms, it's customary to say, Dios se la pague, may God repay you. That's the spirit of this work we're talking about. And so as, as we imagine this work together, I say to you all, Dios se le padre. Amen. <laughs>